Maybe you could just give a broad overview in whatever order you wish on things people should consider um, when going through a divorce, pre-divorce, after the divorce, when it comes to auto insurance and life insurance. Yeah. So obviously this, this is a difficult time and insurance is not the thing that anybody's really thinking about. There's a lot <laughs> more serious issues going up. The thing that comes up a lot is you, you have the divorce situation, or at least, you know, I, I guess you'd say pre-divorce, but you're still separated. So you're living in two different houses and, you know, and the kids and they're like, well, the kids live here 50% of the time and they live with their father 50% of the time or, you know, whatever that arrangement is. And, and that actually impacts the auto insurance. Um, because, you know, that means the kids are driving the cars in the father's house and the kids are driving the cars in the mother's house. Mm. And now you're paying double for kids. You know, Tim, you mentioned, you know, it's more expensive to insure, you know, younger drivers. Well, I think inherently people understand that, but you don't think about that. So one of the things that we recommend in those situations is to say, you know, if there's an opportunity to get a car to give to your kids and let the kids take the car back and forth, then only one parent really needs to insure the car and maybe they need to split the cost, you know, however that works out. But but you're only paying for um, a kid's rate on one car instead of paying for it in two different houses. So that's something to, to think about um, if there's an opportunity, if you live close enough for, for that. Um, one of the other challenges that we run across is because a lot of times both um, adults, the, the people who are going through the divorce, um, are registered on the car. And so if there's mm. going to be a separation or a divorce, you know, one of the things to think about is to, you know, re-register the car in one name or the other, whoever's going to keep that car, mm. because in that way you're eliminating that exposure for the other person. So if I've got, if I've divorced my wife, I don't want to be on her car. I mean, you know, she might be, you know, if her driving's not great and something happens and my name's on that, I can get pulled into it even if I'm, you know, um, and especially if I'm still married, um, by definition of the insurance policy, I could get pulled into it. So wow, good to can know. Can I ask a question on that, John? Is it sure. is the is the exposure or liability because you're a registered owner on the vehicle or because you're on a joint policy? It's more about being the registered owner on the vehicle. So a good attorney is going to look and say, well, gee, you know, one divorcee doesn't have the assets, but look, the second divorcee or the other person does have assets and they are still registered owner on the policy. So they're still owner and they can be held responsible. Wow. So, so decoupling that exposure is a good thing. Um, so yeah, but it's not really could, the insurance policy that does that. But they could theoretically be on the same policy and one be registered on one vehicle and one on the other, or is there... I think we had uh, just clients last week that um, were saying that they their insurance company did not allow them to remain on the same policy. They had to get separate policies. Is that does that happen? Is that brokerage independent? That that is that's correct. If they're not living in the same household, ah, so so at that point, if whether they're divorced or separated, you know, legally separated at that point, if they're in two separate houses, there there really should be on two separate policies. So what would happen or what, what's, what issues could come up? Because I handle cases where they've been separated six months, a year, five years, and they've maintained their insurance policy together. Is there, what liability could they be facing, assuming they're on a joint vehicle, um, but specifically on the same policy when technically they shouldn't be? Yeah. So, so it really comes down to what the carrier is going to do with that. So it's like anything else. If you say you live in, um, Santa Barbara and you actually live in LA, 
well, the rates are cheaper in Santa Barbara than they are in LA. So the insurance company could say you're quote unquote um, committing insurance fraud and deny a claim. Mm. So if you've got uh, two, you know, people who are separated living in different households on the same policy claiming to live in the same household, then you know, if there's something major, the insurance company could go back and look at that and say, hey, this wasn't done correctly. And they could use that as a reason to deny a claim. I mean, it's it's a little far fetched, admittedly. Um, mm -hmm. If it's something small and minor, no one's probably going to pick up on it. But at the same time, you know, you're back to that um, shared exposure when you're really trying to decouple your life. And so if you're trying to decouple your life, I don't know how you share an auto insurance policy and go, okay, every month you need to pay me this much in order to, you know, make the policy whole, you know, and then if they don't pay, you can't just say, all right, I'll pay for mine and not his because the policy is the policy. It, it needs the premium for both to be paid. So, so you, there, there's just a lot of inherent issues with it that we recommend that you just have two separate policies. How often do you see insurance companies actually trying to not pay the policy? Is that almost a hundred percent of the time? Or I mean, what I mean is like investigating, looking at all the, the I's dotted T's crossed just so they don't have to pay it. Do they have somebody working for them that does that specific job or? Yes. So, so okay. all insurance claims departments have what are called SIU special investigation units um, that, that look into things. I will tell you, and, and again, it, I think it kind of depends on the book of business you have. So the type of people who value what we do are usually not the same type of people who are going to be out there doing things that are fraudulent. So we don't see that very high as a percentage. And as a whole, I would, I'm sure it's a very low percentage. When I worked inside at Farmers, that number was pretty low in terms of the, you know, per like 100 claims. I mean, I couldn't give you an exact number, but it's not, you know, like, wow, 50%, they're looking for ways not to pay. That's really not the insurance company's mentality. The insurance company does collect premium with the idea that they will be paying on claims. And they want to have good customer service because obviously they want to generate more premiums coming in. So for the most part, the insurance companies are looking for ways to pay the claim within the, the, the scope of the policy. But occasionally you do come across things that, you know, you look at and you're like, yeah, that just doesn't really look right or sound right. And in those cases, they do have a special unit to, to look into that a little bit deeper. Or, you know, you, you think of the, the private detectives that run around going, hey, this guy claimed he was injured workers comp and you see him playing softball on Sunday, you know, running the bases at full speed speed going, yeah. So somebody might be, you know, watching that guy as well, so, you know, because again, that's your money. You want to make sure that they're not paying out all this fraudulent money because that's just going to raise your rates. I assume, uh, John, they're looking also to when they can mitigate their losses. I know when I had going back to why it's important to have an independent broker, Connor, is I, uh, when we had the, um, the uh, water damage in our home, I called the insurance agent uh, company um, made the claim. You do it over the phone, and uh, then I, and then I also, somehow it came up, and I called John, and uh, he, he said, "Oh, I wish I w you would have called me first. Um, so I assume that you know, in our case, we said, "Hey, yesterday we noticed, you know, um, the wall was wet. We pulled the bed back. The floors were wet, and that, you know, it was a little bit more story to that. But I imagine if I said, "Hey, I noticed a water leak, and the walls wet thirty days ago, and now the floors are wet,' this might have been a different story." 
Yeah, so so there is we, we do encourage people to call us as soon as they discover something because one we can either prevent you from going down a road that's not going to be a covered claim anyway, so prevent a lot of frustration and get you started on you know resolving the claim. And other times I'll give you the, this this is a great example and it, it has to do with auto. But if you're driving down the freeway and say an object, you know, a car in front of you kicks up an object and it hits your car and damages your front end or something, well that's if you say I hit an object on the freeway, that's a collision claim and that's going to be chargeable. That's going to increase your rates. But if you say that car in front of me kicked up something and that flying object hit my car, that's a comprehensive claim and that's not chargeable. So, you know, it, it, it a lot of times it depends on how you call on the claim. And I'm not saying you'll know, make up a story or anything. No, what's chargeable? Just, what's, I'm sorry, what's meaning, chargeable? In, what? Increase your rates. So like, you you know, if you have an accident that's your fault, you expect your rates to go up. Sure, right, that's okay. Chargeable. And if you have an accident that's not your fault, you don't expect your rates to go up, okay? I mean, that's, Got it. that's so, so that's what we mean by chargeable, your rates go up. Okay, so getting hit by an object on the freeway that gets kicked up by another car, that is chargeable or is not? That is not. Is not. But if you hit that object, if you say, oh, I was on the freeway and then all of a sudden I hit this tire or object or whatever it is, guess what? They're going to charge you charge. for that because it's a single vehicle accident. Yeah, you're but driving too fast to avoid it. So it must right. be your fault. And if it's a fine object, then then at that point, you know, it, it's a so so we you know using that as kind of a simple example. But we we like it when people call us with their claims first, because then we can go over the process with them. We can explain what's going to happen. Um, we called in for them, so they're not sitting on hold for 10 minutes waiting to get to somebody. You know, Again, it's part of that value, but it's really about letting you know and, and giving you a realistic expectation of what should happen. Going, John, we were talking about the auto. Now we're back on auto insurance, but I want to jump sure. back over to the homeowners. Um, is there any... We have this phenomenon going on lately where because of interest rates being so high and people going through divorce, um, they're opting not to re like if they're going to buy out their spouse, they're opting to keep it jointly, even though the intention is one spouse is going to remain in it. And for a period of, you know, one spouse is moving out, but then for a period of time waiting to hope the interest rates will come down so that they can then refinance on the homeowners policies with that is the homeowner insurance policy tied to the, um, owners of the home or the occupant it's tied it's tied to the owners of the home primarily okay so, so they would keep it together until which time that changed right so so you could have a divorce situation where say the one of the spouses moves out but is still entitled to the home we would still say that that spouse would stay on the insurance as well okay. because if something happened to that home and there's a fire you want the check to be written to both you don't, you know, nobody okay. wants to give up that right now. I have the check written to the one that's staying there. Same thing with a liability claim. You want that liability coverage to to extend to either spouse, whether they live in the house or not. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that anything we missed on either auto or homeowners when it comes to divorce? I don't think so. We covered the kid situation and the ownership. So I think that's pretty much yeah, cover everything there. Good information. Um, Jumping over to life insurance, can you just maybe talk about high level what you should consider when going through divorce or maybe some scenarios you've dealt with uh, in doing this sure. for 30 years that you may have come across? 
Sure. So, so the, the, the most obvious one is dealing with the beneficiary. You know, you have a, you have a policy, your spouse is the beneficiary, you go through a divorce, what happens? Um, so first of all, the natural reaction is I've got to get that person off my beneficiary. You're not even divorced yet. You're separated. You're, you know, you're going through that, that battle. Um, you know, in California, you can't take a, a spouse off as a beneficiary without that spouse's signature. Oh, okay, wow. So, Interesting. So, so, you know, that prevents you from, you know, saying I'm done with my spouse and just pulling them off without them knowing they have to know. Okay, really? So that, that's one of those issues that, that you have to deal with. Even if the divorce is finalized? Once the divorce is finalized, I believe you can then take them off. Um, but up until then, while they're still your spouse, I don't believe you can. And that's um, actually doing so is actually uh, parties going through divorce are restrained from doing that as well as part okay. of the family law code for removing parties from uh, the policy until they are effectively divorced without okay. without permission. So that probably goes hand in hand with what you're telling me. Yeah, I, yeah, that, and I hadn't heard that part of it, so that, that makes sense. The other thing that, that comes up a lot is when there is a divorce situation, um, a lot of times uh, a policy needs to be purchased. Um, so being in, in, I guess, to describe this, you know, one of the, uh, the, the couple, one of the people, one of the individuals would have to buy a life policy on their life, especially if there's a, uh, uh, what's the payment called? Um, when you're paying alimony, spousal support, spousal yeah. support or alimony or something like that. Um, you know, if I'm paying alimony for my wife and, and the children, if something happens to me, something needs to take that place. So I would be required to buy a life insurance policy for a certain period of time to, to cover that exposure, to make sure that that alimony and that child support will continue to be paid, even if something happens to me. And that's a, a typical thing we'll see as well. Yeah, we 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 don't recommend or or advise. We don't you know we don't get legal advice here, but uh, that is part one of the things that we will bring up. You know, especially where there is a significant difference in incomes and the the spouse support or alimony is significant, and where by losing that support there would be basically you know a total loss of income for the most part. Are those insurance policies more or less expensive when you're when you have an insurance policy like that to cover spouse? Is it under different because it's under different circumstances? No, it's it's the same. So it's still going to be based on my life, my health, my age, and how many years and how much coverage we want to buy. So the purpose of the insurance, whether it's for that, whether it's for to buy out a business partner or just for my own spouse and family, you know, well-being if something were to happen to me, the cost that that does not change the cost. Is there do you if people were to call someone would call you and say, I have to pay spouse support of a thousand dollars a month for 10 years. So that's what $120,000. How would you make recommendations on an amount or, you know, that they should do coverage for maybe a 10 year term? Or is there like step down provisions where you just, you would write the policy separately each year for the total amount of spouse support yeah. uh, left to be paid? How would you, how would you do that? In, in that particular case, it just does make sense to take the flat amount, the 120,000 if that's the math um, for the the thousand dollars a month for the ten years. Um, part of the reason you won't want to do like we're talking about a step down and write a new policy each year. Great for the agent because they're going to keep getting commission each year on a new policy. Bad for the individual because what happens if their health if their health mm. changes? 
So, you know, you're in year four and all of a sudden, you know, you've had some sort of skin cancer issue. Well, guess what? Now that cost of insurance just went up dramatically to provide the same insurance. So um, we would do it as the 10 year term. You know, we would basically match the term to the length of the settlement or the, the years you owe the money and, and literally multiply it out. Do you find yourselves in these predicaments call, when they call you to, for this purpose to cover um, life insurance due to there being uh, alimony or spouse support? Are they calling and saying, I want a policy for X amount, or are you kind of running them through an algorithm? Or are you helping having to assist them with coming up with what amount they should write it for? Yeah, it, it's really not. It, it's almost as simple as the way you describe it. They know okay. how much that they're going to owe for how many years. And, and so there's really not a lot of extra to it. Now, okay. we may recommend that they have a different life insurance policy if that was their only life insurance policy to cover other things for themselves. And they could take out two different policies for that purpose. Even at the same time, they could take out, you know, 120 for like the situation you were talking about and another 150 for something else that they wanted to cover on their own. So, so we may talk to them about that, but specific to that scenario, we will minimize everything we can to just meet the minimum for that requirement. 